Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, um, chapter 3. We'll read verses 7 through 13. And before we go to the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of the word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we're able to gather around your word. um, And that for those who believe, it is bread, it is wine. For those who do not, it is judgment and condemnation. But it is also your power for salvation. So we would pray that as even maybe non-believers listen, they would hear and know the weightiness of their sin and the glory of the great Savior that has been given. And for those who are believers, that we would be encouraged in our lives, that we would be made more like Christ, that we would have a sense, um, a greater understanding of what the gospel does mean for us. And we pray this, that you bless our time together, the hearing and the preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. The word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, because I will make them come and behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my guide. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my guide and the name of the city of my guide, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my guide out of heaven, and my own new name, he who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. So again, as we're in the Apocalypto of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, it also means that it's written in apocalyptic language, which gives you all these symbols and numbers that represent different things we're using as our key to interpretation, the Old Testament, um, things that would have been understandable to the original reading audience. And so that's how we're um, beginning our interpretation by the power of the Holy Spirit as well, um, being able to help us to see what the truths are of Scripture. And we're in the sixth of the seven letters to the seven churches, number seven being a a wholeness, a number of completion and um, totality. So this represents all the churches. And in each church so far we've seen and we've looked at and said, okay, how would this apply to us? How do we see what's happening um, in this particular letter to that particular church? How do we apply this to us? And here we are again, and in this letter to the church in Philadelphia, What we see is this is only the one of the two churches, Smyrna being the other, uh, one of the two churches that have nothing said against them. So that what's going on in, in, 
in Philadelphia, um, the Lord is not condemning anything. And what he, you heard him say to them is, I know you have a little strength. It doesn't mean um, anything bad. It just means you don't have, the power that's against you is much stronger than the power that you think you have. But you've not denied my name, and for this I'm, I'm, I'm commending you. And so what we always look at here at the beginning of each of these letters is uh, the aspect of Jesus Christ, which is from the description, the self-description of Jesus Christ um, in, in chapter 1. And we see that each of the letters takes a certain part of that description and applies it to the opening of the letter of each church because that aspect or characteristic of Jesus Christ um, would be meaningful to the specific application of that church. So that what we see here is at in verse 7, and to the angel, and this is again to the messenger, to the probably the leaders of the church there, the elders um, of Philadelphia write this, the words of the Holy One the true one who has the key of David. So we'll first look at the holy one. Not one who is holy, but the holy one. And so what they're getting at here, what God is getting at is this is God. This is one who is completely set apart. We become holy too, in a sense, but he is the holy one. And we also see that he is true, the true one. So he can be believed. And so you just see that they're going to be told they have a little power. Or here's the one that's holy. Here's the one that has all the power. And he is the one that is not going to lie at all. And what we're going to see here also is they are being slandered. There are lies being told against them. But Jesus Christ is the true one. So whatever we have in our lives that's happening, whether they're lies or slanders or whatever, we know that he is the true one. And we recall the words of Pilate as Jesus was before him. And Jesus said, you know, I tell you the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And we can recognize that in our day when we can say, what is truth? We no longer live in a period in our culture where the culture seems to be um, whatever is true for you is good for you. They've, the culture has become what we would call uh, puritanical um, in its view of what truth is because they will not allow opposing viewpoints in a lot of ways. And we had to be careful of possibly being the same way at certain things, but we know that there is true truth. Just because somebody claims something to be true doesn't make it so, and that's where culture used to get this idea of, well, if it's true for you, that's okay, and whatever's true for you. But we believe in ultimate truth, ultimate reality, what is called true truth. And Jesus says, I am the true one, he said in the Gospels, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes before my Father except through me. And which is, we're going to see, this is interesting too. What do you go through? A door. And Jesus even says in the Gospels, I am the door. And here we see that he, next that he has the key of David. And you, where do you use the keys? I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but all this goes together. Your keys unlock doors, lock doors, unlock doors. And it has to do with the idea of authority and the idea of power. And so when we see that he says now, he is also the one who has the key of David. I want to first go back to chapter 1 and see what he says here in chapter 1, verse 17. He says, 
John says, when I saw him, this vision of Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and he said, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And so what we'll see is that there's seems to be more than one key, and now he's talking about this one key, this key of David. And this key of David is found in Isaiah 22. So we don't have to speculate too much about what it means. So if we turn um, together to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 22, and we're going to read a little bit, and then I would ask you to use your bulletin or something as a, as a bookmark. We're going to come back to it in just a little while. But Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20. And what has happened is there are, we're at a time in Jerusalem's history where there are stewards, similar to Lord of the Rings has a steward who's keeping the kingdom for the, is it Gondor for the, for the king that's actually to come. And here we have stewards and this um, one steward is being rebuked and taken away and Eliakim is being put in his place. So, um, Isaiah 22, verse 20. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Eliakim, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him. Now, this is earlier in Revelation. We see Jesus wearing a robe and having the sash. And he will, and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. That's kind of odd. He put a key on somebody's shoulder. But if we remember Isaiah 9, we read it at um, Christmas a lot. And we say the government shall be upon his shoulders. And so it's the idea of bearing the weight, bearing his power. So it's not a literal key. It's a figurative key that represents something else. And what it represents is government. It represents rule. It represents authority, binding authority, that when the steward acts, the things that he does has the authority of the king. And so if he says do it, it gets done. If he says don't do it, it does not get done. And back to the verse, he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Now we're going to come back and read the rest of this in just a minute. But that's obviously where this comes from. And we see that Jesus is the one who has this power. And it's also interesting at this point that he's using this idea of a door. Because what we know and appears to be true here in Revelation is there is obviously some problem with the Jewish synagogue here. Now when we go on and we read this, let me, uh, it says, Who opens and none will shut and shuts and none will open? I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. So this is a door that if he opens it, nobody else can shut it. And he is the only one who could open it. And he has opened it. Now they have been kicked out of the Jewish synagogues. And this isn't Gentiles against Jews. This is an inter-Jewish problem. This is, there are Christian Jews. Let's not forget that Jesus is Jewish. The apostles are Jewish. Many Christians are Jewish. Um, But there there were synagogues who did not believe that Jesus Christ is actually the Messiah they were looking for. They did not believe that Jesus is God. They they were not believers. They weren't true believers before, or they would be following Christ now. This is what Jesus clearly 
taught. But even more problematic, because he's not just saying they're synagogues of Satan because they don't follow me, but Satan is a word that means accuser. And we know that Satan stands before God and accuses the brethren day and night. And Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, the Father, interceding for us all the time. So here we have a synagogue of Jewish people who are actively persecuting and accusing and lying against these mostly or a lot of um, these Jewish Christians who've been kicked out of the synagogue. You don't kick the Gentiles out of the synagogue because they're not there. So this is the Jewish believers who've converted to Christ. And at this time of their history, Judaism was protected under um, the Roman power. So that what the Jews started to do was to say, these guys are not part of us That we, because they're bringing, like they can't worship um, Caesar and apparently from what we can see from the history and from the Bible is that the Jew the Jews of that time were much more accommodating to the culture and to the government to do whatever it took to get along they were able to remain to remain distinct but they also were a little more willing to accommodate whatever issues there were in in the government and in the culture whereas the Christians were like Ugh. God, they were having more of a problem with this. And so the Jewish people didn't want to be associated, the, the, the non-Christian Jews in the synagogues did not want to be associated, so they began to apparently lie about things that the Christians were doing, and it was causing a great deal of problems for these believers um, in Philadelphia. And so that Jesus is saying to them, I know you've been kicked out of their doors. Those doors have been shut to you, but I am the door. I have the keys of David. This is who they say they're worshiping. They're descendants of Abraham. And yet David is the great king that they look toward, and his kingdom will be established forever as we see the descendant of David in Jesus Christ. And he has now ascended to the right hand of power and says, I have the keys. I've opened this this door. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And so what's the open door? And it, it, it can be a couple things. One, it could be I'm opening a door to, for you to be able to go out and spread the gospel. I have a door that's open where you can go and do these things. And we use that a lot of times in the way we talk. We'll say, well, there's an open door. You know, how do I know what God wants me to do? It's like, well, open doors and closed doors. Or we'll say, God opens one door and he closes another. Or he'll close a door and open a window or something like that. You know, where we sort of use the providences of God that we see as signs and indications of what we should and shouldn't do. Which is not right. I mean, it's, we want to have wisdom as well as to watch providence because my thing has always been, well, I applied for something and God just closed that door. And so what do you do? Okay. And you just walk away. I mean, that means like you don't ever push through. You don't ever knock harder. You don't ever kick a door in. You don't go around. At what point am I supposed to say, well, that is pretty clear to me because my way is supposed to be just always open doors. And we know that's not quite the way things work. However, I've had had have had doors that I believe God had opened and just slammed in my face one more time to say, you get it yet? And I'm like, okay, I think I got it now. But it wasn't because it was a closed door or an open door. It's just because finally, over and over again, something happens. And it's just like, okay, God is, something's going on here. And then wisdom uh, dictates a lot of things. Um, you can apply for a job and don't get it. 
then you can say, thank you, God. I don't have a decision to make about that one now. I just didn't get it. But if you're offered the job, now you have to say, is this something I should do? Again, just an open door doesn't mean you walk through it. But this door, I think, is different because he's talking about and using the phraseology all the way back in Isaiah. And this is talking about kingdom power. So this door that is open is open to the door of heaven, this way of salvation, which, yes, it means when you go out and you share the gospel and you're presenting Jesus Christ to people, there's an open door. People can come in. The door to heaven is open. It's through Jesus Christ. And he also says, I am the door. But here he says, you know, I have the keys of David. I, have, I am the only one that can open. I'm the only one that can shut. And that door is open. And we live in a day when the door to heaven is open. Whosoever shall believe in him, all the believers in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is still converting people to himself. The Holy Spirit is still working to convert and save sinners. And he's still working to change us, to make us more and more like him. So that door is open. And in Psalm 24, we just read about an open door through which the king of glory is coming in. So doors don't just work one way. Doors work two ways. So there's all these science fiction movies where you open some portal and you go into it and then something bad comes in. I think, what was that one with all the kids and stuff? Stranger things, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's like that. Well, this is a good door. <laughs> this is the door to heaven. This is the door that the king of glory can, can come in. He's telling this church that's being persecuted, this church that seems to have little power. And maybe we look at that and say, we don't seem to have a whole lot of power. We don't seem to have a lot of influence. We see our children maybe turning from the faith. We see family and friends turning from the faith. We see our culture doing this. We see our government doing that. And then we see churches out there doing crazy things it's like they don't represent me you know what's going on we seem to have so much little power and what Jesus is saying is there's a door that's open and the king of glory can come in he told the the church which was the church in um which one was the rich church in Pergamum which one was poor and he said you are I know you are poor but you are rich and in the same way here, he's telling them, I know that you have little power, but you have the power of the authority of the king of David. You have the power of God on your side. So don't see things the way the world sees them. And then if we continually look at verse 8, he says, I have, you have an open door that no one's able to shut. I know you have little power, and yet... You have kept my word and have not denied my name. And that's what's important for us in whatever times may be before us is that we keep his word and, and have not denied his name. Now, we can understand not denying his name. That means uh, not denying the name of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to keep his word? And to keep his word obviously means you've remained obedient. You've remained steadfast. You have not soiled your garments in this culture. You have stood by what you believe to be true, and you have lived your life in a way that is in accordance with Scripture. And that's hard to do when there's a great onrush of power against you. If you've ever stood in a stream uh, and the water is like really coming fast, there's just no way to withstand that sort of thing. And what he's saying is that's kind of where you can be sometimes, and yet you still have not just decided, I'm just going to go along with it. And that you've remained true, and you've kept my word, and you've not denied my faith. And my, my name, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. And again, this is the synagogue of these accusers. Um, by his power, they're obviously doing this. 
and this is, means it's um, not so much, it's government and religion together, and we're going to see the images of this later in Revelation, that are combining their powers together to work against you. And I mean, like, you can think, my goodness, if a great governmental power is opposed to us, and great religious powers who are influencing that, whatever, you know, all great powers of government have a sense of religious faith attached to them, the current religious faith, uh, for the most part of our government, I would say is secularism, materialism, and that government is the thing that provides power and comfort, and it is the parental force, and the church has to look at that everywhere it goes and just says, yeah, you're not the ultimate power. And if you know anything about power-hungry people, um, and it applies to governments as well, you challenge the authority and it does not go well. It's like they focus on the people that just don't seem to, to want to go along with it. And so God is saying here, I have this. I know that they're a synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and they're not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, when is this? And what we're going to see in the book of Revelation is um, there's persecution that happens at different times in this particular area in Turkey where this letter is written. Uh, we know that probably not many years after this, there was the great uh, persecution in Smyrna where we talked about Polycarp and he was persecuted. Well, there were some brothers from Philadelphia, we know historically, who were also um, put to death at the same time as Polycarp. So these guys from this church and, the, and Polycarp and Smyrna, they were called up in this and they were all put to death for their faith. And so He's saying that I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will learn that I've loved you. When's that going to happen? And we know in the book of uh, Philippians that on the last day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. It's going to mean that everyone will acknowledge the fact that he is God and he is Lord. Some will still hate that and curse that, and some will, will be so much more in love with this because we recognize the fact that we can stand in his holiness because we're covered with the holiness of God himself in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I will protect you, and I am with you in verse 10, because, and that's a period, and then it goes forward, now because you have kept my word, about patient endurance. Now, that's interesting. My word about patient endurance. So we need to keep his word about patient endurance. Um, we know what it means to endure, and we know what it means to have to be patient. And, and I, we have this saying where we, nobody wants to pray for patience, because then what happens is God gives you things in your life to cause you to have to learn to be patient. But what actually happens is there's stuff a-coming, and what we pray for is the ability to be able to persevere through it. And they call that here patient endurance and patient endurance is not just endurance it means there's going to be a while you may go through a lot for a sustained period of time but Jesus says to us you need to patiently endure hold fast to your faith cling to the promises don't walk in the flesh walk in the spirit understand that there is a way that you see things now in this life and it can bring you down and it can be dark and you can say where is God where is truth where is life where is hope and God says that's what Satan wants you to think that's what your flesh for some reason desires to go there and what you have to do is walk in the spirit that says no I know there is hope I know there is light I know there is God it's like you're not 
not just putting on rose-colored glasses. You're putting on glasses that enable you to see spiritual things as they truly are. You're able to see that there is truth beyond this veil where we can't see the truths behind things, which is what Revelation is written for, so that you can see there are powers behind the evil that happens in the world, and there's power behind the good, and the church is that power for good that has the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel that is able to be a light to the world. And we might say, sometimes I don't feel much like a light. And it's like, that's fine because you aren't the church by yourself. The church is bigger than you. The church are individual churches and we're to be together and we're to encourage one another, we're to help one another, we're to pray for one another. Sometimes you need to lean into the church and be helped to be you know, lit up a little more encouraged by the church and there's some times when you're the encourager, times when you're a brighter light when you're doing these things. But even the way believers deal with our times of depression, and fear and pain, the way we deal with that and the way we deal with those who are dealing with that is a strong testimony to the power of the gospel to a watching world. And so we need to be, take great care in the way that we um, treat one another and encourage and love one another. And he talks about, I will, he says, since you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep, and it's the same word here, you've kept my word, so I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. All right, so first of all, what does it mean to be kept from the hour of trial? Um, because what some people believe this is, well, this is talking about, because you, again, you have to kind of come to Revelation again anew afresh and not have ideas about what you believe is going to happen because we hadn't got to a lot of that yet um, but there's some kind of trial that's coming upon the the whole world and so you're and christians are going to be kept from it so man this really sounds like that tribulation thing that great tribulation and we get our pre-trip post-trip mid-trip all these tribulation things where it's like sounds like what it's saying here is there's going to be a great tribulation that's going to come upon the whole world sounds quite obvious and you're going to be kept from it all right What's it mean? Well, there's your rapture. It's one of your parts. I don't believe in a rapture. Don't believe it's taught in scripture. Go ahead and figure that one out. But um, we'll reason these things together. Because what we're going to see in at least this right here, this is not talking about the rapture. And we can demonstrate this from the way these words are used from what Revelation teaches and from what um, the gospel say. So let's look um, briefly at this. You're, what does it mean to be kept out of tribulation. So turn to John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 is um, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays before he goes to be crucified, of course. And uh, he's praying for his disciples, particularly for the apostles, and all for those who will follow after him. So John chapter 17, in verse 15, he has this line that he says. And he's talking to, let's just go, okay, back to verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So what Jesus is praying for here is not that we be taken out of the world, but we be kept from the evil one. 
And so the evil one is going to have a lot of power over these disciples. It's going to have a lot of um, ability to persecute and kill and do all sorts of things. But they're going to be kept from him. They're going to be kept safe from him. When we hear the ironic benediction, may the Lord bless and keep you. There's this eternal protection over you that no matter what you may go through in this life, even for your faith and because of your faith, Jesus Christ is keeping you from the power of the devil, from the power of Satan, that you will make it into heaven, that you are my children, you will remain my child, and I will protect you, and I will keep you from this tribulation. And there's a quote, um, G.K. Beale, one of these guys that write these commentaries, he says, in verse, if verse 13 is referring to a promise of physical preservation, Okay, if it's referring to you're not going to be harmed at all physically before the final resurrection, then it is the only text in the whole book that does so. So there's no other text that you see in the book of Revelation that says you're not going to go through tribulation. I mean, if we see this through the book of these letters to the churches, it's like it's the idea of persevering. And, and he even goes on and he says this, uh, verse 10 in Revelation 3.10 You've kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast. See, no one takes your prize. And this is what he continually says. Persevere. Hold fast. No matter what you're going through, it means you're going to have to cling to something. You're going to have to cling to the gospel. You're going to have to cling to Jesus Christ. There are going to be times when you're going to feel like just letting go and just let the world do whatever it's going to do. But don't do that because I'm going to keep you through these trials and through these tribulations. And this is a great promise. Now, just briefly here, and anybody wants to talk about this more, I love talking about this stuff. Um, the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. We hear whole world, we think, I got a globe. <laughs> That's the whole world. Um, but that word for um, world there is oikomene. Oikomene is a word that we use like oikos. It means home, it means house, it means the inhabited world. They can use that word to mean just a specific region. Like we'll talk about the whole world, and it's just like around here. Uh, the Roman Empire could be considered the oikomene, the whole world. So there is a trial that's coming upon a very large area. And then he says, to try those who dwell on the earth. All right, and that word is gase, and that word means earth like we mean it. So what he's saying is that there's this little phrase, to try, and it means to test, to do something with, to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, the phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is a technical term in the book of Revelation that they use about five or six times, and it always means the same thing. It means the idolatrous unbelievers. And one example is Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, verses 9 and 10. So Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Now, those guys weren't kept from tribulation. These are people that have been slain. And then in verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And that's what we're looking at in Chapter 3, um, verse 10. 
I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. These idolatrous unbelievers. There, there are times when things are going to happen that are going to be very difficult for the world. And there are going to be times when things are going to happen that will be very difficult for the church. And there is going to come a day when all these things will be set right. And that's what he's saying is, I am keeping you from this. I will hold you from that time of trial. When the last day comes, when the final judgment happens, when there are those on the earth who are crying for the mountains and the rocks to fall down on you, I'm going to keep you from that. Because I will have you, I will hold you, and that's the final judgment. And he says, I'm coming soon. And now we know a thousand days is like a year to the Lord, and a year is like a thousand, what is it? A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But also, we don't know what might have happened soon, because there's a great persecution during this time. Um, who knows what historically may have happened that Jesus is referring to? Because what we'll see in the book of Revelation is there's a cycle of the way things happen on the earth. Um, there is persecution, and then there seems to be um, revival. And then there seems to be, it starts over again. And there's also just different ways of looking at this. We've seen through history, there are times when the church grows greatly and a time when the darkness um, seems to surround it. But he says that what we have to keep in mind is, is that I will keep you. I have the final say for these things. I have the keys of David. I am the king. I am the one who is in control. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. This is that Stephanos, the victor's crown. Don't let anybody steal that from you. You're, you're running well. <laughs> keep the gospel. Understand who Jesus is. Make it through the difficulties of life. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, and, he, and this is what he goes on to say. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. All right. So in Philadelphia in the year, I think it was AD 17, there was a great earthquake. And the, the, apparently the stability of Philadelphia was so bad, they end up having to move the city eventually where people live on the outskirts of it. But uh, pillars just crumbled and fell. And then the empire comes in, and they rebuild everything so that for a short period of time, they actually call the city of Philadelphia uh, Neo-Caesarea, the New Caesar. And they renamed the city the New Caesar, and they put up new pillars and stuff. And how interesting is it that what God is saying to those who are victors is, I know you have a little strength. I know you've been kicked out of the Jewish synagogues. I know that culture is beginning to come down on you. I know that government may begin to come down on you. I know that things are difficult and you seem to have little power. But if you are a victor, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of God. And a pillar is one of those things that just holds everything up. You will be strong. You will be mighty. The way you see things now is not really the way things are ultimately going to be. You have to maintain that hope and you maintain that faith. You go from little strength to being a pillar in the temple of God. And he goes on, there's even more, and he starts talking about, uh, and he'll never go out of it. And that when they would go out of the temple, it was for war. It was for, um, you know, you, you're, you're kept in the temple of God. I'm not going to send you away. You're not going to be lost. You're going to remain where you are. You're never going to be kicked out of that temple. You got kicked out of the synagogues. You may have got kicked out of different things, but I will hold you fast and I will keep you forever. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God. I will continue to see through these letters and through Revelation the name of God, the name of God. I will write on him the name of my God. I think this is something that happens 
um, to a believer at baptism. I believe this is something that happens to believers when they take the Lord's Supper. I believe that this is the marking of believers as belonging to God, as being his, and that no one will be able to snatch you from his hand, and that I name you, I love you, I hold you, you are mine, and not only am I going to make you strong, not only am I going to give you a crown, not only are going to be rewards, but you're going to be so intimately attached to me, I'm going to write my name on you. And then we get to the mark of 666, the mark of the beast, and these things we'll understand better what that means because believers aren't marked by that. You only get one mark, and this is with the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Which is really cool when you know the history because they had the new Caesarea. They had the empire came down, the kingdom came down and rebuilt this city for everybody. And everybody's like, praise Caesar, praise Caesar. We're the new Caesar. No, no, no. God's coming down. God's going to fix all this. God is going to do this. And when God comes down, it's the new Jerusalem is what you're going to have. The new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven which we see later in Revelation, this is the kingdom that's coming, which is what's happening now, even in our presence, as the church is the kingdom of God on this earth and my own new name. So you're going to get all these names. It's like the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And these are things that are beautiful. And so if we go back again just to Isaiah, if you did put your bookmark there, Isaiah 22. And this, again, was Eliakim, who's been given the, the power or the authority, the key to the house of David. And then you get to verse 23. I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place. All right, so it's like a peg on the wall and you're hanging something from it. But some uh, interpreters think another way to look at this instead of a peg is a pillar. And I don't want to change the word of God to these things, but either way works. But it's something that's secure and it holds stuff up. And in my mind, a peg goes this way and a pillar goes this way. And so it all just similar stuff. So he's going to make Elikim like this peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him or place on him the whole honor of the father's his father's house. His offspring and issue every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that peg will be fastened in a secure place and will give way. And it will be cut down and fall and the load that was on it will be cut off. The Lord has spoken and our Jesus Christ was cut off for us so that we might become a pillar in the household of God that will never fail. That will never lose its strength. And so I think what God is telling us in this letter um, to this particular church, I think what he would have our church, the church today and you know, Second Street, the church in the United States, the church in our world needs to know is that you are stronger than you know, that you are a light, that you as individual Christians, you need to be attached and associated and in a church so that we can strengthen one another, encourage one another, even more as we see the day approaching, so that our light shines brighter in the world as the world grows darker, that bright that lightness is going to be brighter. It will also grab more attention to you. And who knows which way the sovereign Lord will have our world go. But if this world grows darker, let it not be because we're trying our best to shine bright. Don't let the difficulty of sharing the gospel publicly cause you to back off of the way you live your life and share the gospel. 
um, because you're not holding fast. You're not uh, clinging to his name in that way. Don't let your little strength that appears to be, it's every, I see Stan, I'm glad you used to coach football. I guess you kind of still do coach football, just from the other side of the TV though. And it's like, <laughs> when you're losing, is all up to your, well, you say it's, I won't say how you've talked bad about some of your teams in the past, but, you know, in the best of days, bless their hearts, as Kelly would have me say about football players. Bless their hearts, you know, doing their best. But a lot of times it's, it's I mean, you've got to have strength. You've got to have ability. The church has that. You have the Holy Spirit. So we're not lacking for power. We're not lacking for any of these things. It's, but what does happen is you can have a, a very bad team, beat a very good team, if that bad team believes there's no way they can win. You know, once one team gives up, that's it. Now, I'm a Carolina fan, the real Carolina, South Carolina, so that when I'm watching a game and I believe in paying for the ticket, you stay to the end. I paid for this thing. I'm not walking out unless it's real hot or cold or something. But, you know, I want to watch the game. And as a Carolina fan, there's a minute left, and I'm thinking, onside kick, you get it, you make a field goal, you onside kick. You can't do that. You could do three onside kicks and a field goal, and then if the guy intercepted, we could still win this thing. <laughs> that's me I'm a fan on the field though. I'll have to be out there that's harder for those guys to be thinking like that because they're thinking no way but miracles happen on the field all the time but it's only done by people who don't give up and who are maybe trusting their coach or trusting their trainers what coaches will say tr stick to the basics trust trust what I'm telling you just do this this is possible and that's what you know I don't want to be just the pastor that stands up and says we can do this we got this it's going to be okay everything's going to be all right you only need to do that kind of preaching when things get tough but for the church, when things get really good, we needed to have been preaching that kind of stuff, and we weren't. We, we had a lot of power in this country and in the world for a long time, and that typically goes to our heads, and I don't know what happens. But it strengthens the church. It strengthens the believer to go through times of darkness and trial. And whatever it is, <laughs> be firm through it. Share the gospel through it. The Holy Spirit is going to win this. We're, we're, you're going to come out the other side. It's going to be, I'm giving you myself to you. and yeah, I, I marked you in baptism. You're mine. All you have to, all you have to, all you have to do is have faith. You, I'm going to give you the Lord's Supper. This is the Lord's Supper what we're getting right now to those who believe. And he's going to give it to us physically to say, covenantally, you're coming to me again. I'm giving you myself. If you believe, you have me. And if I am for you, no one can be against you. You may have little strength, you think, but you will be a pillar in the temple of God. So let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us to rely on you, not our own strength, to walk in the, the spirit and not the flesh. I know there are those, maybe even in here, who are discouraged, who are hurting, who are sad. Pray that you would um, provide encouragers to them, um, that we have friends, family outside the church that, that we're desperately praying for. We pray that you would help us to reach them. We pray that um, whatever places in life you put us, that we would um, hold fast to you, that we would not seek out persecution, that we would not seek out um, to be brought attention to, but that we would speak truth and that we would do it in love and that you would um, fan us to a flame. And we pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.